He likes to tell you if anyone will listen about his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace. Now it's a long shot. Longman's on his travels again, but who will it be today? Who will today's guest be? Well, another of my former teammates, a guy who I first got to know after playing against him a, a couple of times. Uh, first got to know, start of 2006 when uh, when he signed for Swansea, and unfortunately we spent a little bit more time together than we would have liked. Best part of a year and a half out, injured together, so hours and hours, days, weeks, months spent in the treatment room together and uh, got to know him really well. Um, I passed crossed after that when I went on loan to Yeovil but fascinating insight hopefully coming up with the current Yeovil Town football manager Darren Way about his injury troubles, um, the, the, the memories that we share of that time together and he's been through more than that. He's, he's arguably one of, the, one of the hardest working guys that I have ever come across but he's one of the most mentally strong people that I've ever come across. Um, suffered more than most, not just footballers, but uh, people. Uh, suffered a devastating car accident, which ultimately ended his football career, but could have ended his life. Uh, he, was, he was very close to, um, to not being with us anymore, so I'm sure we'll get into all of that. Um, you know, he's fought back unbelievably to, to be grinding out a a really promising managerial career. Uh, so, so looking forward to catching up. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this conversation with the Yeovil Town manager, Mr. Darren Way. Darren Way, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Oh, Wayne Tudor Jones. It's been a it little was, while, mate. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. Uh, we've kept in touch but to see each other and uh, different roles and responsibilities now, it's nice to sit down and have a chat. First time we met properly, we, we played against each other. You signed for Swansea halfway through my first season at, at the Swansea. So you'd been a little terrier and pestering, pestering Swansea for a couple of years before that, hadn't you? Yeah, played against you a number of times. Never forget the, the Swansea battles down at the Vetch. Probably one of the biggest highlights of my career uh, away performances playing at the Vetch and uh, there was a significant difference of playing at the Liberty 
but I still feel that the, the history and the, the supporters took that into the new stadium, which is why they went on to be successful. Did you play in that? Was it uh, the first ever Friday night game at the Liberty? Did you play in that one? Yeah, it was, oh. a, it was a fantastic um, game. Uh, we played, the, it was Yeovil and Trun scored that goal against yeah. Chris Wheel and yeah, uh, yeah. was devastated. Having said that, I thought we, we played extremely well, but that was a Lee Trundle little bit of magic. I've said, I've said um, since, I remember, I'll never forget his celebration there. Obviously, was it Chris Wheel with a yeah. kick? Didn't go, didn't didn't, go too far. Didn't, didn't get enough he, distance on his he's, kick. And he's uh, chested it, what, 40 yards away? Yeah. Bad angle, chest volley in. And then I remember running towards him, celebrating, and all he's screaming is, I'm a genius. <laughs> I've got to be honest. Only Lee Trundle probably could have uh, had the vision and certainly the, the ability to score that goal. So you'd obviously impressed Swansea uh, in performances against them. I know that at that time, Yeovil and Swansea was almost like a derby, always battling top of the league. Kenny Jacket had seen enough to bring you in in the January transfer window, yeah? Yeah. What was that like for you? you know, I know you'd had those battles in the Vetch and Hewish Park, similar sort of grounds. I know the Vetch was a little bit bigger atmosphere. But then to go to the Liberty Stadium, a little step up in terms of facilities? Facilities, it was a massive jump from Yeovil Town to, to Swansea. It was start of Swansea's journey to the Premier League. Uh, I feel very honoured and privileged to be part of that. Uh, unfortunately, Kenny uh, moved on and uh, Roberto came in and uh, that's probably where the first time I could see a different philosophy and uh, I'll never forget it, he took us to, to Barcelona and uh, the, the trip was uh, opened my eyes as to you know, a different culture, a different style of football and he incorporated that at Swansea and it, it was great to see, it was great to be a part of, it was a different style to what I was ever used to but then unfortunately the, the injury got the better of me. It was crazy, I think for both of us really, Roberto had come in Kenny had been sacked while we were injured and then we saw this transformation that Roberto, you know, because I, I, I liken it, I, I try and explain to people, before Roberto came in, I would put myself, you, and then the centre midfielders at the time, whether it was uh, Darren Prattley, Leon Britton, uh, I know Ferry came in after, but similar levels, you know, people would obviously say that Leon always had that class in him, but by the time we'd come back from our injuries, Roberto had taken those players to a level that I don't know how you feel, I, I couldn't close that gap then, they, they'd moved up. I, I totally agree, it's, the strategy that he put in place is a little bit like a jigsaw. I think when you first look at it, the Swansea supporters were a little bit impatient, mm. but when you get it right, and uh, I think Ferry Bolder and Leon Britton, you look at Leon Britton, what he's achieved in his uh, Swansea career about his stats, I think Roberto was probably a massive part of that yeah. and uh, he put belief into a football club and a style of football of play that was probably different than anywhere else. As a manager now, you're managing uh, in League Two, do you know what Roberto did? Because people ask, why is, he, why is he a good manager? And then he gets stick off people and I just look at him thinking, you haven't got a clue. But I can't explain to people how he did what he did good sessions but I can't really put a finger on exactly how he did it transformed an entire club sometimes when you want to put a strategy in place 
you have to have a vision for it. But the hardest thing to do for any manager is to make it work. And uh, he's got an unbelievable uh, football intelligence that he's, he's took him a, a number of years and I know he would have been studying behind the scenes. And I'll never forget being in the room with him and uh, Yeovil come in for me and it was probably a situation for footballing reasons to move clubs but I did have a burning desire about coaching and uh, I was developing under his stewardship with him and Graham Jones. He sent you out scouting yeah, while he were injured? Yeah, he sent me out scouting and uh, I just enjoyed watching his training sessions, I enjoyed being in his training sessions. There wasn't a moment that passed me by as a footballer where I was thinking about anything else in the training session. And I think that's the difference between being a, an elite manager or coach because he, he, that's why he's gone on to Belgium and uh, everyone that I've bumped into, I've, I've had a belief about uh, Roberto and Graham uh, and I've told them about it and to see him at Belgium now, it just proves the fact that I was right in my thought process, it was right in my thinking that he was the best, which is why he's in a position that he's in now. Unfortunately, Everton didn't give him enough time yeah. to be able to, and, and in football, football's got a strange way of, of just taking time. But media, supporters, sometimes it gets to a stage where they want change. And uh, he was uh, probably unfortunate that that got the better of him at Everton. But to see him as to where he is now, it's really what he deserves. And the thing with Roberto is, if he had one downfall, he's, he's still got it. Is he's a not not that he's a blagger. It's just sometimes the message that he gives across seems a little bit far fetched. I tell so many stories about when he said that I was better than Yaya Torre. <laughs> and, loads of stuff like that and you think oh come on Roberto in his own little mind he has a, he has a method behind all these messages it's just when you're at a club like Everton it's very difficult to, to blag fans like that isn't it I, I, don't, I feel he's got a belief in himself and I always say as a manager and I say to my players if you don't believe in yourself no one else will believe in you and uh, that can get so much out of the team, so much out of individuals that are not even being involved in the first team. And that's why you see so many younger players come through at Everton because Roberto put a system and a, a, and a, and a philosophy in place that took time. And uh, listen, I think you could have been as good as Torre. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Daz. I might get back in training, mate. <laughs> Any contracts going? <laughs> I'd love to say it was, but, but I couldn't afford your wages. <laughs> You're on about my Norwich wages. Things changed yeah, exactly. soon after that, mate. Exactly. Let's go back to you then, Daz. You went from Yeovil, where I would imagine you were a big part of that dressing room. Playing every week, playing in a very successful team. Probably the life and soul in terms of the humour in the dressing room. And I'm sure you can tell a good few stories of what you boys used to get up to. And then you moved to Swansea where you'd still be a big character, but then injuries take their toll. And I've been there, you, your personality can't come out properly because you think, have I earned the respect of my teammates? And ultimately you need to be on the pitch in order to do that, don't you? Was it tough for you? It was very tough, it was tough for me, my family, only because I, if I was fit, 100% fit, I knew what I could do, which is why I 
deserved to get the move that I got. Unfortunately, when you walk into a football club and you want to show the supporters, but your body don't allow you to, um, it becomes frustrating and it was a frustrating time. All I tried to do, along with Alan Curtis, uh, even with Lee Trundle, uh, whether he was playing or whether he was not, Gary Monk, when Gary was injured, I tried to like share a, a responsibility with the supporters and I think that's why they still have a lot of respect for me because I wasn't one of them where I just wanted to pick my money up. I wanted to make sure that when I spoke to supporters, I would stay there and have a conversation. I would try and sign autographs. Um, and I think if you do that, they certainly, a Swansea supporter, can see that you're humble, see that you're honest, and uh, I've still got a relationship with Swansea supporters now. What do you remember of the Secret Santas? Because you talk about the fee that Swansea paid for you. I remember that giant check, mate. Yeah. It was, um, again... That would have been had, tough for you, yeah, wouldn't it? It was very difficult. I'll never forget uh, Gary Monk, I think, bought me uh, an anger book. Yeah. Um, just to deal with anger and uh, we all had a good laugh and uh, there was many a different secret Santas that we had over the, the couple of years that were there but yeah it's very difficult as, a, as an individual as a player which is why some players really struggle uh, emotionally uh, just because it can be that frustrating when you're injured and obviously to explain Swansea paid 150 grand to Yogo for you I think it was a little bit more than that. We'll, we'll say 150, that's obviously what the players thought it yeah. was. And then for your secret Santa, um, the lads had been to, whether it was Lloyds Bank or HSBC, and got a giant, one of those giant lottery-style uh, checks and written out 150 grand. Yeah, and I, was, I was one of the first in. I mean, we, 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 they took Kevin Amanko as well. Uh, I think there was one or two other players that, that signed at that time, so they were spending quite a little bit of money just to try and make sure that they brought success to the Liberty Stadium and uh, you know in their decision making with other players perhaps not me value for money um, even though I like to think uh, I would have but unfortunately my body didn't allow me to uh, we still created a great environment and I'll never forget going to uh, the Millennium Stadium and uh, winning our first trophy yeah. uh, in a short space of time. Yeah, it was good memories, wasn't it? Because we had that and then the playoff final, which ultimately we lost. Yeah. But still big games to be part of that yeah, squad. Yeah, still, still big games. And being involved in one or two, whether it be on the bench, coming off. And, uh, you know, it was a, I'll never forget, we went to MK Dons away as well. And, yeah, so we had good experiences, but unfortunately I, I couldn't clock up the amount of games that I wanted to. Do you, do you think that, because you see in the newspapers, uh, interviews that players who go for big money, whatever it'll be, you know, it depends on the club, whether it's a million pound, whether it's a hundred million pound, and they say, oh, the fee doesn't affect me. Do you think that's lies? Because I, I've been in a situation where Norris didn't pay anything to Swansea for me, but it was reported as 250 grand. It was going to be based on appearances, so obviously they didn't get anything. But people's perception was that Norwich had paid 250 grand. I knew that, and then ultimately didn't didn't deliver on the pitch. And you do there's that little little voice in the back of your mind that's telling you that oh, these these people think they've spent money on you. I've, I I need to deliver. Well, the dressing room will talk. Supporters will talk, and they want to get value for money. They want to see what you can do. And the worst thing about being a footballer is being injured and uh, when that happens 
it creates uh, a number of problems and you have to be able to be strong enough to deal with it and uh, life is full of adversities but as a footballer that's probably the worst thing that can happen to you certainly off the back of a big move because it can create a problem and if it don't affect you then I don't believe that it must do and mm. it affected me and it affected my family and there was one or two things even when I got burgled I was only in Swansea for five weeks uh, my wife was was pregnant and so there was a lot of tough times but I got through it and uh, I like to think that that journey that I was w was on at Swansea has made me stronger and do you think yeah to, to carry on from that would we be sitting here now as friends if we hadn't spent the best part of a year and a half in the in the treatment room together probably not but I cannot honestly say I think there was a, a lot that we had in common um, height definitely not height <laughs> uh, probably feet um, but I have to say you know we, we shared that experience together it wasn't nice but there's one thing for sure is we we helped each other which is probably why we're sat here now what, what do you remember I've, I've got a memory of um, us going out on the bikes so AJ the, the physio had got I think she got bikes from somewhere and we headed yeah. out and we quite often we'd, yeah. we'd go out but on that one particular day we went out without the physio yeah we got a little bit lost didn't we a ended little up, bit a little, end up on the m4 a little bit lost <laughs> ended up on the m4 with a flat tire and uh you had to carry one bike back and me on my shoulder so uh yeah it was a i'll never forget we used to pester richard evans and aj yeah. to give us more commitment uh i'll never forget we turned up at uh, at the gym one day I think it was must have been seven o'clock in the morning we were swimming and uh, it was just to make sure that we could show everyone else that we were working extremely hard yeah. harder than anyone else and uh, you know I, I feel you know everything that we tried to do was right for the football club listen I know you, you did ask before we we started recording if this would be about 10 minutes it is going to be longer mate because we've got a lot to touch on you know yep. your accident and stuff so just relax mate sit back enjoy the <laughs> podcast um, but Richie Evans is a good one because can you now as a manager almost sympathise with him in his position right so he had to look after the team or if he had to do the warm up or watch training in case there was an injury and then he had to look after us but then he'd say to us I'll meet you at half one in the gym half two would come no sign of him but do you, can you now sympathise with the fact that he had loads of roles to do at that level of football or do you think no Evo shouldn't be in there half one it was difficult for him. I'm not the easiest to manage as a footballer anyway, especially when I'm injured. And uh, all I wanted to do was get back fit and try to get as much support as what I, I could. But I have to say, it must have been difficult juggling the roles and responsibilities that he had to juggle. Um, he could probably understand why we were like we were yeah. and uh, he would have respect for us for that and uh, but great guy and again part of Roberto's staff who stayed with Roberto for a long time and uh, it's been in the World Cup now and he's had a number of roles picked up uh, good trophies and never forget seeing pictures of him picking up the FA Cup but I would probably say me and you was one of his biggest headaches in his whole career <laughs> I still, still speak to Evo I was messaging him after after they beat Brazil yeah. and he was sending me pictures obviously having an unbelievable time and then it was this week 
before their semi-final chatting with someone and chatting about Roberto and this person I forget who had said um, I've heard so you know the rumours I've heard that it's this sports science guy that Roberto's got who does all the work he's the <laughs> he's the brains behind it right and I'm looking at this guy thinking listen I love Evo as much as the next guy but you need to change your sources mate <laughs> you, you don't know what you're on about mate but it's, it's just good to see guys like uh, Inyaki the, the goalkeeping coach yeah brilliant. these boys doing well yeah just a great team where's and Oscar Graham Jones where's Oscar again. mate oh no Oscar rub, you know massaging he never give me one but, uh, you never had one off Oscar? No, he would only give. I think he would only give players that had at least con- contributed to <laughs> more than twenty games. He, he, he was a next level masseur. Yeah, he? he was unbelievable and uh, very good at his job. Uh, you leave. You didn't leave Swansea. You went on loan back to Yeovil. So obviously you wanted to play football. You had trouble with your compartment syndrome. Yeah. Uh, real big problems with your leg. You went to Yeovil, played a handful of games. Felt good or? just struggling felt good uh, for me because uh, I contributed to, to Yeovil almost uh, well staying in the league which was important important for the role of why I went back to the club and it's like anything from picking up five uh, player of the year awards in the whole time that I was at Yeovil um, going from the conference to, to almost league one I was very, very successful. So I had a, uh, there was a lot of, I would say, respect that I had from the supporters, but they were looking to see where I was at. Did you and go back a different player? I felt I had to change my game just because of, I was a long time out injured. Uh, I was getting there and I feel even to this day now, if nothing had happened with the accident, I would have got to where I needed to get to because of the way that I am so I had no you know no worries that I was going to be able to get to where I was playing before um, so I do see my loan spell as a success it's weird isn't it because you, you know I've I've done it myself you've just spoke there about having to change as a player I don't think that's a conscious thing you know from my own experience I, I didn't consciously one day sit at a table and think I'm going to change as a player now it happens without you even knowing yeah. so I used to be box to box long legs getting about the pitch win the ball give it to someone better and then you realise as you get older oh my I, I developed technically under Roberto a better ball player and then you have to become that defensive midfield player because you can't get about anymore yeah but you don't realise at the time, do you? You still kind of yeah. try. I felt technically it did improve me as a player. So I was seeing passes and making angles for passes a lot different than what I was doing before. Normally I would just run off the, the, the front man, pick up seconds and then make runs into the box. So my thought process was a, a lot clearer and uh, I felt my game management, game understanding was better than what it had ever been so you know I think that helped me out certainly coming back from injury and when when you were on loan obviously the accident happens so not everyone listening will will know about your accident um terrible car accident happened just outside the oval yeah yeah so you were a passenger in a transit van yeah passenger in a transit van and a Land Rover head-on collision yeah I would say a combined speed of probably around about 110 miles an hour um, the events because originally 
I went on loan and then I came back to Swansea and then I signed on a permanent. So now I was at okay. Yeovil, signed on permanent. Uh, my wife at the time, uh, Kelly, uh, we were moving at the time. That She's still your wife, right. is it? Yeah, I've been with <laughs> Kelly since I was 14 years of age. That doesn't sound right. She'll get the raging up for that. Better cut that out. <laughs> She'll understand, mate. Yeah. It's a traumatic experience you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, go back to my roots now. From, from the accident, she could have been not your wife anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could, could, you, we could say that. So I was just moving my stuff, uh, which was in storage, into my house. Uh, we had a Christmas night out with all the Yeovil players, and I came back early from that, back to Yeovil, uh, where all the players stayed down there. And I do look at that decision that I made that day, could it have been different? But I think in life, if things are meant to be and uh, you've just got to deal with it, life's just not easy. And uh, we were just, I was a passenger in a vehicle, my stadium officer, uh, Bruce James, who, who was a fantastic guy who's passed away now, bless him, uh, was driving and uh, a vehicle crossed onto the opposite side of the road and uh, hit us head on. There wasn't really anything that we could do. It was all about taking the impact. And I feel, feel when I look at that, that situation and only having split seconds to decide what I was gonna do, certainly to take the force, I did treat it almost as a football tackle. And uh, if I didn't, I think the consequences could have been completely different. I probably would have went out the windscreen. So what, you, what you're trying to say is, because um, we've spoke about it previously, you almost saw the collision happening, saw that there was nothing you could do about it, and like almost riding a tackle, you've adjusted yeah. your body to the side, yeah? It was all about bracing myself, being strong, uh, and making sure that I took the impact. Uh, I put my right arm on the dashboard to just give me that little bit of support, and uh, I locked my right leg, and uh, when I look at the injuries now, they're probably a consequence of what I'd done. Uh, certainly with the, the right wrist, uh, you know, I fractured a number of places, took uh, you know, my right elbow out of its uh, socket and uh, I had a fractured dislocation of my right hip and it takes some force to do that. And, you know, if I didn't do that, I, I don't think I'll be sat here today. You, it would have been internal injuries as opposed to breaks maybe? Definitely. I mean, I had a bad cut towards my head. Uh, so it was all to do with my survival instinct and I think football was a massive part to the way that I, I, I braced myself that day. Do you remember anything from the moment of the impact to get into the hospital? Is it just other people telling you what was going on? Because I, I, I think a car had stopped and a lady was yeah. holding your hand waiting for the ambulance, yeah? I remember every little bit of it and uh, even to the noise. Um, a lady came up to my, to my window and uh, I said to her, look, I'm, I'm going to die now. Can you tell Kelly and the two kids I love them and I promise one day I'll, I'll see them again. And then I, it was all about just shutting down and, and almost being out of here. It's a, it's a strange feeling, being close to death. Um, it's hard to explain what it feels like, but it was almost just, I've said what I've needed to say, close my eyes and, you know, I'm out of here. And uh, she said to me, what's, what's your children's name? And uh, that just gave me a, an adrenaline where I thought, I need to hold on 
I need to hold on and uh, just I, having to to tell the lady the names of your children. Yeah, yeah, just I can't I can't leave right now because at that time it's almost like well this feels like death now. Uh, how do you deal with? And you either fight it, or and your body allows you to fight it, or you almost give up straight away. Was it pain, Daz? Could you feel the pain, or was it more a shock? It was more just numb. I was numb and more just pain at that stage with what's just happened is really what you make it. It's almost I had a numbness to, to decide what I was now going to do and the noise, the hissing noise. And, and just by her comments really, and I think it can be a lonely place, a very, very lonely place. Bruce was beside me and uh, he knew the, the injuries that, that I'd sustained and he was more worried and concerned that I was I was staying alive, but he had he had massive problems as well. So when I heard the the emergency services, the noise, that's like wow, that that immense feeling, the adrenaline rush to say I've got help. Really, it was was class. It took 50 minutes, and the, the fire service had to take me out the back of the of the vehicle. Um, they had to cut me out. That took 50 minutes, and then the helicopter. Uh, flew me to Dorchester, so I can't really thank anyone anymore as far as you know the the air ambulance for for being there because it it could be so different. So I do feel very lucky. I do feel fortunate that I can stand up right. I've spent eight months in a wheelchair, and that's a that's a lonely place. You know, not being able to go toilet by yourself and having a six month old child and Kelly supporting me through that so between myself my family I've grown extremely strong because of that situation and I don't care what you say that's what's helped me with football management am I right in saying Daz that um, Kelly was in the car going in the opposite direction past the ambulance yeah Kelly and uh, a friend was, was actually do you realize there's there's traffic and then the, obviously she found out the news and uh, the, the police car quickly, I mean, it was quick as what she could have ever imagined got us to Dorchester Hospital uh, to deal with the, the consequences. I had two uh, members of staff from the football club, Chairman John Fry and uh, Martin Steins, who was the chief exec at the time. So I had support straight away because it was, it was life-threatening. I remember receiving the call off uh, Lakey, Hugh Laker at Swansea. This is how weird human beings can be, so it might just be me. <laughs> and uh, having the phone call, I don't know if I was watching a film in the house, um, and Lakey phoned and said, listen, there's been an accident, Dar Darren's been in an accident, and it's a really bad one. And I, I remember speaking to him, like, just real blasé, right, okay, okay. <laughs> All right, Lakey, nice one. <laughs> like, phone down. Yeah. And then you sort of, I don't know if I would have carried on with a film or what, and then slowly, sort of the message in your brain is yeah. taking over, and you think, fucking hell, yeah. what's happening here? Like, then you phone monks and we speak and that. I remember coming to see you in the hospital, yeah. just, a, just a mess. I know. Do you know what I mean? Well, to be fair, I do remember you coming down, and it was a, a massive lift for me just to see you at the end of the bed. But at that time, I was in a bad place. I was on a lot of drugs, and... I couldn't, I was in traction, I don't think I could move any of my legs and uh, it, it's been a long journey but I have to say I've, I've grown as a person because of that and I've took a lot out of that, I've took a lot of 
uh, I've took a reality check on, on life because I gave myself a difficult time and my wife a difficult time for a number of years for being frustrated as a footballer, yeah. let alone now being in a position where I can't walk. So, yeah, we've, we've grown stronger together because of that. And in that hospital, obviously Kelly would have been there. Uh, your right-hand man, Skivo, I'm sure would have been there almost every day. So probably your best mate in football throughout all, all the years, certainly one of your best mates. Was he, he was still playing at Yeovil at the time? Yeah, he was still a player, so it was a very difficult time for him. Yeah. Now battling uh, to try and keep the club in the Football League. Yeah. I had a lot of without, players without his support. Little, without yeah. little weasel in front of him. W without me uh, playing in the team. So the, the players got together and uh, the togetherness that they showed and uh, the amount of effort that they put in for the, for the sake of me, it felt like me as well, you know. There was yeah. a lot of players that had shirts underneath their, their shirts after the game against Swindon, they won the game. And, uh, you know, it was nice to see that, that the club actually stuck by me and, and it really brought, brought everyone together. And that was probably, you know, a massive part of keeping the club and the Football League, that togetherness. You felt that support and, and obviously Skivo is, the relationship between you and him as players and then he became the, the manager at Yeovil, you were his, his coach and assistant and then now that it's a role reversal, you're the gaffer, he's your right hand man. Yeah, you boys are stuck in Yeovil forever, aren't you mate? Nah, it's, it's an amazing journey. That, that, cl that club is in, in your blood though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it always will be, but it won't last forever and uh, as a manager, uh, you've got to manage getting the sack nowadays. Um, You've got to have a confidence, you've got to have a belief that you will go on to, to other club and other systems and other resources that you can work with. And, but there's one thing for sure is myself, Terry, uh, Gary Johnson, it became a dream team because there was a lot of history behind us. We knew the club inside out and we were successful. When I took over as a manager, originally I took over as a manager to keep the club in the Football League. Yeah. You know, I was taking over Paul Sturrock and the club was in a bad place. Uh, we wasn't performing, we wasn't winning games and uh, I think we went on a, a 14 game winning streak, uh, which was an exceptional turnaround. And uh, the, the two years after, the, the budget is, is being cut uh, because it's working realistically with the resources that we can work with. And now I just feel that we're in a place now where we can start moving it forward again to where I think the club should be. And uh, that's taken time. I've taken a lot of um, uh, abuse at times from supporters, which, you know, they, they're supporters and they get frustrated because of, of, you know, the success that they've had. But it's for no one to try. And, uh, you know, I, I like to think I've tried to give everything for that football club. Um, every minute of every day I've given up family time at times for the football club but I know one day it's gonna it's gonna come to an end and uh, I feel very very proud of what myself Terry Gary Johnson what we've all achieved at the football club because it's only a population of 40,000 people people talk about attendances we average five and a half thousand in the championship yeah. that's one league away from the Premier League so even that club at its best, it's very, very difficult to get supporters through the game. But what I've got to try and do is I've got to try and bring a style of play which excites the supporters and it 
and it energizes them as to, to where it's been before. But it takes time for that to be able to happen. So you have to grit your teeth, keep the club in the league. And then your first proper season then is slowly building the blocks to make sure you've got a little foundation in your team. Yeah, it takes two and a half years for you to get anything resembling your type of, of, of team that you want to play. Yeah, I feel I've had to, through that process, I've almost had to wear a tin hat. You know, the hats that they used to wear in the war? Yeah. It feels like I've had to wear one of them at You're times. In the trenches. And, yeah, it's been in the trenches. And uh, I feel now there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're, we're getting through the other end. And, We've got some young players. This is the first time in four years that we've actually sold a player. And there's probably three or four other players that will probably go on to bigger and better things, which is good for the football club. Now, you know, before we wrap this up, what do you remember? You will be seen as arguably one of the best midfielders in Yeovil's history. But what do you remember at the time when, you know, you had a big influence in bringing in who, you know, the player who will probably be renowned as the best midfield player to play for them? When you got big Owen Taylor Jones on a loan from Norwich, what do well, you remember that I'll time? Play, right? I played a massive part in that. The the connection that I've had with Swansea, um, <coughs> you had Sean McDonald to compete with, by the way. He was alright. Uh, he, right. he was okay. Zidane, uh, but you you certainly played a massive role, and uh, it wasn't easy for you because coming to Yeovil, it was a, a step down from where Swansea Norwich at the time yeah yeah Swansea Norwich and where you had been previously but I look at the majority of loan players that we took through that period of time helped do a job yeah. and that's happened over a number of years now where players have come in from from bigger clubs uh, on bigger wages but have really fought for the football club and that's one thing that I think that I could look at you and I know with the relationship that you had with me as a player and I know Terry had a great working relationship with you. I see it as a very, very successful loan spell. One of my favourite moments of that loan spell was um, we went paintballing one day, so say we went paintballing on a Monday. Do you remember this? You <laughs> yeah, know what's I coming there. This. Went paintballing on a Monday <laughs> and then I, I'll, I'll be completely honest, throughout my time as a player I was never like the big joker, but I would be in the corner like winding people up, so getting people to do something just loading the bullets, if you like, to let them fire it off. And uh, Gavin Williams, who was there on loan as well, yeah. Yeah, from Bristol City. So we went paintballing, and then he bought, like, obviously we were all buying bullets, and then got him, hey, Gav, you know, get a couple of sm smoke bombs. So he's like, yeah, yeah, buy some smoke bombs. And he never threw them. No. So they were stuck in his pockets, he forgot about them. And he remembered after. So he said, oh, bring him in tomorrow, Gav. So he brings him into the training ground. And then I just <laughs> I remember going from the dressing room, opening the physio door, lobbing in the smoke bomb, closing the Locking door, the door, and, and grabbing door. hold of the handle so nobody could get out. I know. He'd released the smoke bomb, and then he looked to his left, and Skivo, the gaffer, was, was raging, just staring at him, oh. furious. So he had to he let the, he let the door go, and three, four, five people just come out of their coughing their guts up. It was. I'll never forget that story. It's a, a fantastic story because it's probably one of the first one story where, as a coach, I found it funny, but in loyalty to the manager, the manager did not find that situation funny whatsoever. So I was almost stuck in the middle where 
I've had to almost change my views yeah. with smoke where I couldn't see <laughs> anything, emotionally get angry, get cross from being in a laughing state for like three rowing, or four like minutes. Like rowing your kids, who yeah, they've done it, something funny but yeah. they need a row. He, he, caught, he, he almost caught his member of staff finding a situation which become <laughs> uncontrollable. He could have caught the whole place on fire. No one could see, there was almost dust everywhere. And uh, but that was, that was Gavin Williams. And, Gavin Williams was a, a, a great player, and uh, but as you know yourself, he had a bigger personality and a character in the dressing room. And you played with other players at Yeovil at that time that would have had good personality and character that went on to bigger and better things. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure as a player, Skivel, he would have been right in the middle. He would have appreciated that. It's just at the time we were losing every week. Yeah, it's, it, it wasn't a difficult uh, situation where from my point of view, but from a manager's point of view, that was the wrong time and the wrong place. How, how would you deal with it now? If you come out of your office and you see some guy holding the handle of the physio room <laughs> and smoke coming out from the bottom. <laughs> the thing was, at one stage, no one could see anything. No one could see anything. And uh, health and safety safeguarding now that you would have been arrested. And no, no fire extinguisher no. was safe with Gav. No. He's a no. loose, loose cannon with them, mate. There was no fire extinguisher because he had let every single one of them off if in the a, building. If there's a fire in Hewish Park, uh, yeah. hopefully you must have changed them yeah, these oh, days. The, the, honestly, the, that's changed. Since Gav left, we, we've saved a fortune on fire extinguishers. <laughs> Before, we was changing them every month. Now we change them, I think it's, or they're checked every six months. So what's the plan then, Daz? You've touched on it, you know, in terms of your future. Nothing is set in stone as a football manager. But obviously you have ambitions, you want to do well for Yeovil. Is it just the case as a manager, you live day by day? Or do you have long-term goals? Can you have long-term goals? Yeah, you can have long-term goals. I think development's a massive thing in football. The reason why, everyone thinks they can be a football manager. And I'm very fortunate to have two and a half years of experience. And I'm nearly touching the top 10 now for longest serving managers. I would say there's probably only 40 or 50% of us that are English at the moment. Majority of the clubs are foreign owned, as yourself, so soon we'll all have to speak a foreign language. But it's one thing for sure, is I'm developing at a fast rate. I've done my LMA diploma uh, in football management. I've done my pro license. So I'm trying to do everything that I can that any manager has got to start off somewhere and uh, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, I can somehow gain league success with Yeovil. I've had cup success, we had Man United last year. Financially, I would say I've done a job in, in the two years that I've been manager, we've posted a profit. But I've not been a manager yet where someone's actually gone out and, and risked money like other clubs have, have had. Uh, Nathan Jones would have gone into a situation at Luton where he would have had huge financial support. And uh, you know, I'm hoping that I can make my club uh, or our club a financially robust operation where it takes care of itself and every year it keeps building. And, but you can never say never. You never know what's around the corner. You could have two or three injuries. I look at Paul Tisdale at Exeter his situation, 14, 15 years at Exeter, he's got to play off finals and uh, you know it comes to an end. You don't know where 
uh, and you don't know when you just got to make sure you're ready for it and the pressure never goes away does it it doesn't matter you're talking there about no. clubs like Nathan at, at Luton you end up doing a good job at Yeovil hopefully that you, that money is financed to your club if not and you've got a job elsewhere and there's big money there's a different pressure isn't there I always say if Mourinho can get the sack anyone can get the sack because what he achieved at Chelsea was phenomenal and uh, that's part of football and you have to almost prepare yourself for that. You've got to prepare yourself for media. Your family is probably, I would say, the most important thing in football management. Just because to have, that, have them close to you. If you've got ambition, you're going to be misunderstood. There's no two ways about it. You are going to be misunderstood. You need to have a, a, a supportive family, for, uh, certainly a supportive girlfriend or wife, whatever the case may be because it, it, it's a different than your average job because it can be at times 24-hour thought process and, and with social media now that's took it to another level impossible to switch off Des, when you get even when you're at home with your kids um, I've tried this was probably the first year because last the year before I only had three players so you can imagine the phone was crazy uh, a window now at Yeovil managing Yeovil and dealing with a transfer window I, if I kept Ryan Edges, we would have got promoted, no two ways about it, or we would have got to a playoffs. And that can happen an hour before the window closes. Before, we could bring you on loan, and if you had a poor performance, which you didn't often do, we could have sent you back to Norwich. Yeah. Where now, the situation's changed. Well, they're stuck with you. Once you sign that player, they're with you for six months. So if they do well, I had Olafel Olamola from Southampton, done extremely well. Six months, he was gone. Ryan Edges, six months, he's gone. And as you've just said, more money, bigger club, you're going to be a fool not to take it. And that's put the football club in a difficult situation every window. And uh, it's how you deal with that. And that can be a tough time. It can be a tough period for your family. I mean. I've, I think I counted with my wife. I took about 130 calls in the build-up to the Bradford game uh, in the FA Cup because I only literally had 10 players. Yeah. And uh, f two days before, the phone, the phone, the phone, non-stop. You got to get players in. I had three players arrive the day of the Bradford game. Two started. That just and little did we know we was going to end up getting Man United. Yeah. So all those decisions that you make are so important to success and that's why the job's never done you can never switch off new season will be upon us soon Daz right in the middle of pre-season am I right in saying you do the runs that you want your players to if there's a different run even after your accident we've got a thousand broken bones yeah it's quite interesting I'm a great believer in that I went down to Burton Bradstock the other day and uh, i never forget the Sky Sports cameraman uh, nearly passed out getting to the top of this hill and we had to carry his camera to get him up there. Really? That's how brutal the run can be. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a great believer. I wouldn't give the players something that I wouldn't do. Yeah. Um, and I did do the run twice. So for how hard it was, uh, I made sure I prepared and my attention to detail is very, very important my planning and uh, I quite enjoy that challenge as well because the players they know they know if they, if I can push myself they'll push themselves
perfect as well. Real good catching up. Thank you for your time. I know I said 10 minutes, but we've gone only a touch over, mate. You need to get to your bed now, don't you? Yeah, we've got a, an early rise tomorrow. We've got Bristol City behind closed doors and preparations are going really well. We've stayed at the Vale now for the last three years, but I'm hoping this one is a little bit different. I'm hoping I can be sat here next year in the same position with you, but talking about a little bit of success. Preparing for League One, my friend. Cool. It's what dreams are made of. Top man, Daz. All the best to you. Cheers, mate. That was Darren Way. Um, Daz, thank you very much for your time. I'm sorry for taking up more than you expected. He came on the podcast expecting 10 minutes. So um, I did humour him. I did say, yeah, it'll be about 10 minutes, Daz. Knowing full well, nah, it's not even going to touch the sides, pal. This is going on a little bit longer. Um, didn't want to take, take the mick too much. So just enjoyed the chat. Um, good insight into a current football manager within the Football League. And as he said, two and a half years in, he's, he's almost in the top 10 of, of longer serving, which, which kind of gives a, an insight into, into how tough a job all football managers have these days. So he's doing a brilliant one. Uh, good to catch up on the old memories as well. So hopefully you guys enjoyed. Tell a friend, subscribe, uh, download past episodes, tell a friend about future episodes and the old ones as well. Leave a review, leave a rating. This was The Longman's Football World.